I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, ahoy, and welcome to Always There, the Howard's Way podcast. I'm Julia Rayside. Thank you for joining me as I navigate through every single episode of the 1980s seafaring soap opera set in the fictional English coastal town of Tarrant. It would be a lonely voyage without you. My shipmate this week is comedian and writer Carrie Quinlan. Ahoy, hoy. <laughs> ahoy. Are we going to make this a thing? I think we're just going to say ahoy. We're going to have to, aren't we? Oh, OK. But we, we ladle this with seafaring puns like people will stop listening straight away. I don't know. I think I think if, <laughs> if, I think if people are Howard's Way fans... Then climb aboard, Carrie. <laughs> <is weird. Yeah. laughs> so when I said come on my Howard's Way podcast... What's the first thing that comes into your brain? When I think of How to Wait, Mm. um, I watched it as a child. So I was about nine or ten when it started. And I just had this nostalgic wave of the glamour. Yes. The breathtaking glamour. Whose face did you see? Well, was it more just an idea of shoulder pads and hair? It was was probably Jan. Yeah, I think so. Jan pops into my... Jan is tremendously glamorous. Yeah. Um, She... Rocks a white trouser suit, <laughs> like, like almost every day. Yeah, or every day at the seaside. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's not believable. I think she has it? a really good uh, deal with a dry cleaner or something. She has to. And uh, by the way, we come here to praise Howard's Way, not to mock it. Absolutely. If anyone thinks there are arched eyebrows here, that ain't happening. No, listen, listen to another Howard's Way podcast if there <laughs> yeah, is one. Yeah, you want you want the other Howard's Way. <laughs> I'm, I'm How, you want Howard's No Way. I'm, I'm guessing there are a lot because it's, it's a brilliant program. But um, those opening credits. I think they're beautiful. Obviously, the music we have to talk about first. Yeah. Simon May's theme tune. It's obviously it's synth heavy and there are a lot of strings and he really he does all the interstitial music as well. And he really plays with the sounds of the ocean, seagulls, but not in a heavy handed way. What does that music make you feel? You can feel the sort of sea breeze in your hair you can. when it starts. Yeah. Just bah, bah, bah. And you're already mm. slightly you've got that slightly rocking sensation of being on a boat, just just hearing it. It's and it, there's something magnificent about it. And there's something brilliant about all the music in Howard's Way. I'd forgotten that there's a mixture of harp and um, Spanish guitar. Like yeah. you can you can sort of see the vertical guitar. There was a there was a brilliant bit in the first episode where the 
this is a terribly glamorous 80s show. Music starts up. Was that the saxophone, the, the saxy saxophone? Yeah, and it's mm. that, so it's um, be, and because we're about to see Ken Masters. Oh, he he always is, warrants the saxophone. He that does. Man. <laughs> he, he's that man is a is a walking, breathing saxophone. <laughs> and um, so it's a, there's a shot. It's outside the Chandlery, and the 80s synth heavy music starts up, and you. And you expect some, you know, Ken Masters is going to be roaring up in some open top thing with some blonde sort, as, as whose name later. we never learn. <laughs> yeah. um, you have to really listen. She's called Dawn, but you have to really concentrate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She, I think uh, she only gets called it once, and I think he's threatening her. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> oh, bless Dawn. But what, what's great about this moment that's about to be incredibly glamorous is that then... Jan Howard drives up in her dark grey mini metro. Because <laughs> she's just a housewife. Exactly. She is just a house. She's just an ordinary housewife <laughs> doing her best. Yeah. So let's, but let's wheel back to the beginning of the episode. So we're oh, obviously yeah. this episode, I think, I mean, it's an hour. It packs in a lot because obviously you're basically trying to set up. I mean, they never called it a soap and I don't think they were aiming for a soap, but this is meeting everyone in a soap in an hour. Yeah. And you know exactly what drives and motivates all of them. This is why I want to talk about Houseway because I think it's a really well written thing. It was written by Jill Hyam, who wrote Tenko, Tenko. for frick's sake. And yeah, so we're not talking quite. about some dashed out glossy soap here. So we're meeting the Howard family first and we first see them aboard the Flying Fish, the flying trusty fish. boat. Yep. Designed by Tom Howard, expert boat designer, sorry. Tom well, Howard, expert, expert aeroplane designer. Well, yes. Initially. Uh, that's right. So Tom Howard is a plane designer, but obviously in his spare time, he dashes off the odd boat because he just is a very talented man. We see him and his two children, Lynn and Leo, on the deck of the Flying Fish. Uh, and and you again, you just, you, they, they barely speak and you know everything about all of them, I think, straight away. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a masterclass in first episoding. I think, I think so, yeah. Um, you absolutely know exactly who everyone is and you know exactly what their obstacles are, what their problems are. Mm -hmm. And the and the end of the first episode is established the whole thing of the show. Yeah, exactly. They do that in one hour. It's amazing. It's brilliant. So we know that um, Tom is married to Jan. They seem very happy in the first uh, this first episode. The Howard family win this uh, local sailing gala. Uh, they come first and um, corks are popped and everyone's celebrating. And that family looks happy to me. I, I'm thinking there's no tension here. Everything's going to be fine. But by the end of the episode, we realise that Jan is a materialistic, money-grabbing, luxury-loving, <laughs> like 80s personification of greed. And Tom just wants to be happy. And there, there lies the tension of their relationship. Well, yes and no. OK, carry on. Because I remember that's what you're supposed to think and what I thought when I was younger. And it's very much like the experience you have of listening to She's Leaving Home by the Beatles. Oh. Which is when you're a kid, you think, yeah, parents are awful. And they're, oh, yeah, I want to be free, girl. And then when you're a grown-up, you go, well, she's terribly ungrateful and awful. <laughs> so now watching Howard's Way, I'm, I'm, you know, Jan is materialistic and all that kind of stuff. But Tom has known for weeks that he's lost his job and he mentions it at the dinner table with their kids and her having not discussed anything with her I'm on her side and then and then she, she goes off and she um, is angry in her bedroom entirely justified well in, I think in so. my opinion in that floral hellhole she Absolutely. calls a bedroom <laughs> yeah, he didn't get a say in that day yeah, or at no, all did he? No. she cries into her pelmet her Laura Ashley and, <laughs> yeah, and then comes back downstairs and no one's cleared the table from dinner that's true and I could I, 
I think so I can see a lot on her of, side. I can see a lot of my mum in her. Yeah. Definitely. He, he keeps stuff from his wife. He and does. I th- and I think, frankly, that's rude. And I was quite surprised, watching it again, at being on Jan's side. Yeah, that's interesting. At all. Yeah, I think I think I understand I understand her basic frustration with him, but I also think she's a money grabbing awful um, there, there's fashion also plate. Yeah. Fashion plate is something people, my mum used to call people back in the eighties. Oh, she's such a fashion plate. Oh, fashion. <laughs> she's got she's got a plate full of fashion. That she one. does, and obviously her career later takes that turn. She she becomes a, a fashion plate. Very involved in the fashion plate. A business. professional <laughs> fashion plate. Yes. Can, Can we, we talk, talk about Leo and Linda? Let's talk about them now then, because we because um, yes, then we that's do. the Howard family. Howard boys are always better people than Howard. Girls. <laughs> so Lynn is pretty shallow. She's she is, but also she she has the same goals as her dad, which is basically just sailing, being around boats, and not really yeah. caring about stuff. And then, but Leo is perhaps the more empathetic and emotional one. Well, he's they, always wearing his League Against Cruel Sports uh, sweatshirt, which yes, yeah, he's got. A, yeah, he's, he's, about. He's, he's, he's got a selection of yeah. um, write-on t-shirts, which is great. Which again is a lovely piece of writing that you establish Leo from the off because he's wearing a Greenpeace t-shirt. Exactly. Boom. Done. Yeah, know yeah. who he is. So he has that idealism of his father. But he's he's perhaps slightly more gone his own way, I think. I'm fond of Leo. He's a sweetie. I was he? always fond of Leo. Freddie Highmore's dad. Well, yes. So, is, I, so he's got to be so all right. So I hear. I think so. I think he's popped up on TV a little bit since Edward Highmore. But yes, his mm. son is now like super, super, uh, super Hollywood films. Super. Absolutely. So let's move on to the Rolfe family then, because um, obviously they become very important to the Howards as this episode goes on and certainly in this, into the second episode because we, we realise their fates will be forever intertwined forever indeed so and Jack- yet they're slightly different characters it's going to be there's going to be some tension over the next five years do you think they won't always years? agree on stuff <laughs> so we meet Jack Rolfe who is a grizzled old boat builder with a drinking problem who always has a bottle of scotch in his, at the top of his filing cabinet and his daughter Avril who is sophisticated beautiful and has just come back from London under mysterious circumstances she's been in that there London mm. Mm, and something's happened. And I we can't help feeling really there's later. been some sort of broken love affair <laughs> in that there London. Yeah, and their relationship, I think, is also set up really nicely. He's hopeless, but kind of a traditionalist and uh, passionate about what he does. And she's trying to bring him into the 80s, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God, it's 1985. Come on. <laughs> but, but obviously it becomes uh, it becomes obvious quite quickly that the Mermaid Boatyard, which is the kind of... Again, the, the, um, there, there are places in this TV show that are characters in the show because they're so important. Yeah, the Mermaid absolutely. Boatyard is definitely one of them. It's the star. Yeah, it is It is kind of the star. Yeah. And it's, it's where um, so many of the characters put all their hopes and dreams and, and ambitions for the future. Jack is, is holding on to this dying business. His daughter's trying to get him to turn it around uh, look look to modern boat building methods fiberglass for fiberglass God's sake. jack <laughs> what her- about wood <laughs> fiberglass jack he- oh, boats are made of wood yeah he only likes wood and he does he says often you can stick your fiberglass he might have to wake up to the fact the modern world is coming and it's about to flatten him and leave him as roadkill, <laughs> just holding a piece of wood and going, but what about... It's too late, yeah, it's too I, late. I, I suspect going all in with a guy who made aeroplanes... Yeah, it's, there's going to, there's as we say, there's going to be there's going to be some tension <laughs> between the wooden boat and the fiberglass boat. I can't, but I, I, I should warrant. But I like the way that the the two life circumstances of, of Jack Rolfe and and Tom Howard are whether they like it or not. You can already see it's it's pressing them towards each other. Yeah, you can feel the kind of uh, momentum of the plot even before it starts. to Yeah, happen. again, and that is, it's just beautiful writing. It's and actually, it's a it's such a good. It's a good premise for a sitcom. Yes. It's a perfect premise never for a sitcom. Never the twain. You're absolutely never the stuck with each other. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. For these reasons. Yeah. And 
But it's never played. For, it's never played for laughs. No, no, actually, not, not. I don't actually remember it being played for laughs at all. I'm trying to think if it, there was any comic relief in Howard's way. Just Jack when he was pissed. I think. I think probably. Yeah, that there, was, about there it. was a sort of gruff humour. <laughs> gruff. After the jolly sailors. <laughs> Yeah, so the Jolly Sailor, the pub, obviously is very important too, as is the Yacht Club. They kind of they, they only really socialise in a very limited number of places. Tarrant, you get the impression it is a small town. Uh, you can commute to London from the train station, but apart two from hours. that... Yes, two hours. We it's know it's two, two hours, hours away. Yeah. It's, uh, it's on the south coast and everyone pretty much stays there. And at one point um, uh, later in this episode, it's mooted. What if the Howard family were to move somewhere else? Because Tom loses his job as a, an aircraft designer. And, and Jan Howard clutches her throat and says simply, leave Tarrant. <laughs> Which I just think is, says everything you need to know about the people who live there. They don't want to leave. It's paradise. It is paradise. Yeah. It's a, it, and it's, yeah, it's, it's an 80s paradise. It is. Completely. And yeah. they, it's a small social sphere. Yeah. But they socialise hard. They do. There's I mean, a so drink in every scene. It's wonderful. <laughs> I, I miss that. We say, you know, yeah. the world's improved. And in some ways it has. But booze in every single scene almost every scene and the booze is carefully gendered so I wanted to talk <laughs> about this because it's brilliant obviously Jack there's no question about what he would drink it would be some kind of ale and it would always be in a jug with a handle no question yeah. a dimple jug is his only the only vessel he'd consider but the women I, I really enjoyed seeing women drink white wine out of flutes because the portions were so small back in those days <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now it's like bucket of wine yeah. <laughs> but then they were just little thimbles little, little flute very dangerous because they're, you know, dainty. And, <laughs> and the ladies had smaller hands in the 80s. Smaller hands and weaker arms. <laughs> much, much weaker arms. So maybe some things have improved. I think so, yeah. We're all much more burly now. Yeah, yeah. Jack, I, Jack I know could I lift a heavier glass. <laughs> a more full glass oh, of wine. My favourite scene was, I think it's a, a later episode, um, but um, Ken takes his girlfriend Dawn, who, you know, we shall, we shall name her whenever possible to give her back something. He takes her for some sort of very, very... It's always so windy. There are... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the sunniest that ever is in Tarrant is in the opening titles on the Solent when the boat's out on the, on, on this, on the sea. Thereafter, everyone's in sleeveless shirts and things, just shivering, it's clutching really a gin and tonic. It's really grey. So, so grey. And I just think then cameras weren't, they weren't designed to, I don't know, polarise. What if they'd use the sky now to make it look blue and beautiful? Yeah. They did, the 80s cameras didn't do that. But no, Dawn and Ken are sitting outside at one point nearly being blown away by a gale <laughs> um, in, in very, very flimsy clothing. And she, he has, I don't know, some kind of gin and tonic because he's a metrosexual guy and he, he'll he'll mix it up and he'll drink all sorts of different things and she has just a large wine glass fl- full of blue liquid <laughs> and I've still I've racked my brains thinking what did they, what was it, that? Is it, it wasn't, some there kind was of, no WKD in no, those days no it was days. before wait, it's 85 no alcohol yeah. pops back then so she had something with blue curacao in it or I just there's oh. nothing else that's blue antifreeze Wind, windscreen washer fluid <laughs> <laughs> I think we're getting closer anyway if anyone knows yeah. <laughs> blue liquid 1985 what would that have been no, no ice mind you just a bucket <laughs> blue liquid <laughs> my other favourite thing about the whole world of Tarrant is uh, and it goes again with Simon May's music well, as soon as Lynn goes out on the boat there's jazzy enthusiastic sailing music and yeah. it's, uh, apparently it's called Barracuda because later in this series Tom will design a groundbreaking boat called the Barracuda of and course. so Simon May named this piece of music after the boat which again I just think is lovely the that whole world nice. of it it's all sort of tangled up it's, together it's so it's lovely it's a bit Peter and the Wolf isn't it because you yes. have that Ken Masters theme and you have, yeah. you have Barracuda and it's, it's, there's also a lovely reflective kind of, uh, you know, minor key version of the theme tune yeah. that's used in moments of reflection and sadness and, you know, sort of Which is lovely. The opening is beautiful because you have this quite long opening theme tune that, you know, Game of Thrones 
probably copied. Yes, undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then the theme tune continues over the opening scenes. It does. So it just gradually fades as they're yeah as they're sailing, and yeah. there's something really beautiful about that. The music, the music is so important. It kind of it tell it. I mean, obviously, it tells you how to feel in a drama, but it also brands the whole thing mm. in a way that makes you feel like you're dealing with something that someone's thought about. Every element works together. It's not just slapped on afterwards. Simon May did write all of the music. He didn't just do a theme tune and left it to some other composer. He's totally branded this. Um, and, you know, one of the, you know, the most important composers of the '80s, really, in yeah, TV. Absolutely. I mean, um, he, had, he had number one hits. Yeah, and he gave this his all. Something so we, about the '80s, though, isn't there? With composers, you you knew theme tune composers' names yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. Is it yeah, Mike Post in America? Who Mike did, like, Post in team and everything, all yeah. of that. Yeah, and yeah. then you had, um, well, Ronnie Hazelhurst did all, loads of stuff. Yeah. And then... Barrington, Barrington Felong. How do you pronounce it? I was going to say Felong. Oh, yeah, go on, Felong. Felong. He's still Felong. doing Endeavour. He is. Which is, obviously, he did Morse very famously. And now yeah, and then Lewis. Yeah. And then Endeavour. And then, um, how, oh, Howard Thing that did Blackadder. Howard Goodall. But yes, they, they were sort of known people. I guess now credits are squashed and we don't always know... I suppose yeah, everything is writing what? Next episode of Netflix has oh. pings up before you can hear any of this. No, that shouldn't be the default, should it? That you, you have to no. like ask the screen to come back. It's like, <laughs> leave the screen where it is. But leave I it. Care. I care about who was the <laughs> clapper loader. I did. Showing did it I on. ever tell you about my notebook? So when I was young and I was obviously about the time I was watching Howard's Way, actually, I, I don't know why I decided I didn't know anyone who was a VT editor, as it was called in the old days. But I decided I wanted to be a VT editor. Didn't really even know what they did. Had a vague idea. I must have seen it on Blue Peter or something. And I opened a notebook uh, at its first page. And every time I watched a TV show, I would, I would oh, stare wow. intently and go, Shh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and then write down the VT editor's name. That's brilliant. Yeah. Have you still got the book? I don't think I have, sadly. Oh. I wish I did. It's the one thing I think, you know, I'd love to see again from my childhood. But um, yeah, no, Chris Wadsworth was a huge celebrity to me. Yes. Michaela right. Powluck, obviously. Yes. Everyone knows that name because okay. of, you know, but if you like comedy. I only found out a couple of years ago, that's a bloke. I know, right? I my, thought my, it was my, a woman, the whole, my entire yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Up, upbringing, yeah. my entire childhood. I know. Um, I thought it was a woman, and that, yeah. I found that, and I was a little bit disappointed in a I sort know. of feministy. Oh well, yeah, cool. Yeah, because she seemed to do really well in yeah. all comedy shows. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. it was a guy. Ah, of course it was. Typical. Damn it. But yes, no credit. Credit watching, I think, made these people famous to us. There was a, there was a floor yeah. manager called Carmela Milne who I'd see in every live show you'd ever see that I that I enjoyed in the eighties and the nineties. Um, her name was always in the credits. She's she's a bit of a legend to me. And I was lucky enough last year to visit the set of Blue Peter. They well, they've <gasps> now moved up to. Manchester and Magic. she still goes up to Salford every Thursday because for Blue Peter she'll do this oh. and floor manages their show oh. and she and she came walking over and someone said that's the floor manager Carmelo I went not not Milne <laughs> and, they, and, they, and nearly went a bit funny in the knees yeah good that's, these, oh, that's these absolutely right because well, they're so. brilliant I think so anyway we must get back to Howard's oh, yeah, Way yep. because uh, we have to meet everyone so we've met the Rolfs, we've, we've met, met the Howards. Howards. We um, we briefly and explosively meet Polly. Um, now, Polly yes. Urquhart, we don't meet her husband yet, but Polly Urquhart is a good friend do, of Jan's. Do we, do we meet him very briefly on the boat at the beginning? Oh, actually, no, no, that's not him. Oh, is that not that's him? That's some other guy she's 
cozying up to. She does a lot of cozying mm. up because she tries to get because that's the only chink in the happy yeah. armor early on with the Howards is Polly trying to get off with Tom at the exactly. Club. And uh, but he, I think the way he treats her advances, he's quite cool yes, about it. He is. He kind of he doesn't respond in any flirty way at all. But he mm. but he also doesn't offend her. Yeah. So he he handles it really he's well. A gentleman. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's it's shown as being quite harmless mm. and apparently what all of our parents were doing in the eighties. I oh, hope not. No, stop it. The idea of it so it makes me feel skeeved out, obviously. And I hope that's not true. Brr. But so we meet Polly and she in this first episode she's kind of there to establish that Jan's liking for luxuries and, and a nice lifestyle and her huge house and lunches at the Yacht Club are what's important to her. And Polly just backs that fact up, I think. Yeah. So that we know that when Tom starts to get, become the dreamer again, that's not going to play well with his wife. Well, also, it slightly humanises Jan. It's, yeah. it's the culture in which she lives. Yeah. It's not everyone else is nice and she's a bit of a knob about it. No, no, things. absolutely. So, um, and she's not, she's not as bad as Polly. No, no, po- Polly is more of a... So, she's not a monster, but she's more no, of a cartoon character. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So For it sure. does slightly humanise Jan that it's... It's the the world. It's it's part of the world. Yes, that they inhabit. Actually, yes, she does. She brings that into into focus because we don't know much about. I mean, th- you don't meet any of the other friends, for example. We mm. don't meet Tom's mates or or anybody else that Jan knows. It's like this is her one friend. Yeah, and they seem to spend a lot of time sort of gossiping over uh, She's over miserable, isn't yachty it? lunches. Yes, it's really bleak. I mean, oh, what? And, and, and tiny course, glasses of wine. There are allusions to. Polly not having a very happy marriage. Oh yes, straight away. So she keeps mentioning her flat in Chelsea, <laughs> and she kind of almost has a script. Every new man you see her with, she's like, "I have a flat in Chelsea. I go out and go there when I'm shopping in town." And then she kind of leaves a pause and waggles her eyebrows. But we also find out that her husband Gerald, who we don't meet yet, he is often away. And she says at one point, I think in the first episode, he said he had a, a late meeting in town. I wish he'd think of a better excuse. Yes. So that's a really Oof. quick but exocet-like route into, OK, this marriage is definitely not... Yeah, this is who uh, these people are. ...a love match. And yeah. they are doing this for show and something else is going on. So we meet her. We know that her daughter is coming back, Abby, who I'm fascinated by. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> kind of, you know, is, 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 uh, is just not of Tarrant and doesn't belong there. But kind of you get the feeling doesn't belong anywhere. She arrives later in the series, I think in episode two, but she is talked about and foreshadowed. We don't meet her yet. Again, another concept you don't hear anymore. She's been to finishing school. <laughs> She's been to finishing what? So she's she, her parents in, in desperation, or her mum in desperation, has sent her away for a year to be finished, whatever that means. And uh, and finish and, her off, and, indeed. Uh, and then and she comes back, and clearly she's more miserable than ever. And you know, another misfit, another person who doesn't understand this materialistic world mm. that her parents occupy, and 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 she's looking for her place in the world. And yes, her and Leo, I think, explains why later in this series they will have things in common and stuff will happen with them. And also, the thing I always like about them is that they're a, a pleasingly physically unattractive couple. I know what you mean, as in they're not TV yeah. 80s. They'd be in looking, they're like slightly, cold, clutching slightly, their denim jacket lapels and looking hot. Exactly. <laughs> they're slightly wonky faced. Yeah. Or normal people. Yeah. Which you don't really remember from the 80s. No, not from 80s programmes at all. No, no. It was all glamorous about, ones. Yeah, it was all about symmetry back then. Yeah. Absolutely. And they are not symmetrical people. Symmetry, and massive earrings. It's just great. <laughs> 
I love them for that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the, um, the scene I really wanted to talk about, because I actually did listen to, uh, obviously I've bought the DVD box set uh, of How's Way, and the first episode has a commentary. It's delightful. <gasps> oh. With, um, it's Stephen Yardley, who plays Ken, Ken Masters, and right. Jan Harvey, who plays Jan Howard. She only ever plays characters called Jan. That's been true throughout <laughs> her career. Not that, her choice, just it's happened that, that way. That blew my mind. Yeah. That Jan H was played by Jan H. I know. I remember because that's her maiden name. So, so Jan Harvey is her maiden name in the show. Oh, and she's Jan Harvey, so yes, it's even weirder. Oh. Anyway, yeah, so Jan and Ken in the show briefly romance each other. Jan and Stephen have been married for many years. No! It's so lovely. That's brilliant. And still to this day. Oh! I know. Oh, it, oh that's so, magnificent. So they do this commentary together. And they, and Jan, in particular, mentions this In their theme. front room. In the, in the please, <laughs> please let it, let it be in, like, in their kitchen. I, I can't imagine it would be anywhere else. Like, no. why would it be? Oh. And I can already see what it looks like. The bedroom's like red and black with smoked glass windows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll come to Ken's colour palette in a minute. It's outstanding. Um, but there's a scene after the, after the Howard family triumphantly return from the boat club. Tom drives them back to their, their huge, um, house in the middle of the Hampshire countryside and they sing we are the champions all together <laughs> which Jan said was the most embarrassing thing but then she had to then lead the singing in a segue into we, we are sailing, sailing. <laughs> but then and that, and that was you know a cheesy awful 80s moment they shouldn't have done it but then Simon May makes it all okay because then the soundtrack joins in we are sailing with a harp solo that's heartbreakingly beautiful yeah which then swells into something else so i just think what is it 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 does it what it goes it it starts off as we are sailing and then it shifts into something else and i didn't write down what it was oh but it does another another bit of one of his signature bits from the howard's way i'm not sure it is i think it's you know it's something Mm. very strange like you know if if, if you're happy and you know it (laughs) it's not that but it's something that made me go is that yeah is he just yeah yeah oh but the thing is, you know, he's he's giving more to this than I would expect a jobbing composer to give. Absolutely. And I and, yeah. I, and whatever relationship he had with, you know, director and producer, this all works like a beautifully oiled machine, I think. Something go back and watch it again. It's not the show you thought it was. Yeah, I think, absolutely. Is, is, and is and the message here. That scene in the car, toe curling though it is, yes. is again this is a happy family. Yeah. It's establishing they have a laugh together. If that was a scene in Casualty, they would be, that it would cut to them smoking in a ditch <laughs> with flames all coming out of the bonnet and stuff. And that's that's effectively what we're heading for. It's, it's a nudge in, in the direction that they're going. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Next, we go to the Jolly Sailor, which looks like the best pub ever. The Jolly Sailor is still the Jolly Sailor, and it's really called that 
and you can go. Well, then why I know. are we there Why now? are we sitting here? Yeah. <laughs> we the, are going to go, though, right? We have to go. So where I'm is not, it? I'm what? not fighting you on this one. Let's no. go now. Yeah. <laughs> what, so what? The River Hamble is sort of the... A lot of it is riverside rather than seaside. Right. So when you see things like the boatyard and stuff, it's actually on an estuary. So I, I love the amount of research you've done. Well, I just, brilliant. you know... I mean, I know, I know this is, you know, your podcast yeah. and everything, but it's the, well, the hours. I have, I have been very restrained because actually I have family on the Isle of Wight, so I often go through the New Forest and park this area and I haven't yet because I really want to give it some time I don't just want to pop in for lunch I want to like hang around yeah. visit everywhere look at all the Jack. locations absolutely but um, yeah so it's a it's a village called Burlesden is where the house set is right scribble this down I am writing um, this the Jolly down. Sailor is a real pub you can just google it just google Howard's Way Jolly Sailor and you know you can get their menu for lunch today very exciting brilliant um, there are lots of locations you can visit but it's weird it's a weird one but it's only very recently that I discovered having been brought up mostly in the Midlands that Everything was filmed in Burlesden, except studio, which was in the most landlocked place in the country. It was in Birmingham. Hey! It's filmed in Pebble Mill. So, um, I, and that's obviously no longer operational. But I remember visiting Pebble Mill when I was a kid, like on a school trip, and like meeting Mark Goodyear. But I wish wow. if I'd known the flipping cast of Howard's Way were there, well, I think I'd probably have gone weak at the knees. It's another one where, and this happens a lot with 80s stuff, that you don't remember that the studio bits look like they're in a studio, but now yeah. they absolutely look like they're in a studio. Completely. But I think my suspension of disbelief is so total in Howard's way. Absolutely. I'm in Tarrant. I'm, I'm nowhere else. <laughs> I can smell the sea. I know exactly where this is happening. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so no, they're in Birmingham and yet in the Jolly Sailor. Wow. A- Avril is drinking white wine from a tiny glass. And at this point on the commentary... It's probably got sparkly to, water in it, I isn't expect it? so, yeah, with a bit of yellow food colouring. Uh, <laughs> at this point in the commentary, um, the delightful detail came forth that Jan and Stephen always used to call Avril Bovril. So from, oh. now, from now on, she's Bovril. <laughs> I, I have to get this. I wasn't going to get the DVD oh, box set. I have I, to now. I, I, I can just source you a copy. Completely in love with them. Oh, no, it's, it's brilliant. It genuinely is brilliant. I wish I wished for more commentary. There was only one episode, sadly. Oh. But yes, the, um, the family, Howard, go home. They celebrate their big win. And then Tom, bless him, the pillock, decides to ruin everyone's yes. pudding. There's a trifle stays on the table uneaten. It's quite a heartbreaking sight because clearly Jan <laughs> took fucking hours to make it. Um, Tom decides to tell them quite casually that he's lost his job and he says the word, it strikes fear into my heart even hearing it now because I remember my dad being made redundant. Mm. He says, I've been made redundant and it doesn't sort of sink in for a while and then the family all starts to take on board what this means and Lynn wants to know if that still means she can have a whole summer off sailing with an allowance. He's like, (laughs) oh yes, I'm sure it'll be fine. And Jan obviously looks thunderous Mm. and furious. Um, because back then, I just remember, I mean, I think just before sort of my childhood, people's jobs were considered for life. Yeah, and absolutely. I know my, my sort of parents' generation still thought that. And so the kind of hammer blow of losing what you thought was a lifetime career must just be devastating. Oh, what a phrase. I I've know. been made redundant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... Yeah. I am no longer of use yeah. as a human. That's horrendous, yeah. isn't it? And he works for an aircraft company... But apparently, and I don't know how they go forward from this, but they've they've just canned the whole design department. So they're just going to have planes that just guess, I don't know, they'll just tell the people building them to do what they usually do. do. Just, just put a twiddly bit there, put a different stripe, or like a different yeah. colour Make stripe. it fly. <laughs> make, it, make it go up and then come and down a, again without banging. And of course, Tom is far too old to easily find another job because well, he he's is. 44. He's 44. Um, he's passed it. He's on the scrap That's it. Heap. That's it. Done. And that was a very real thing again back then. I remember, yeah. I remember my dad sort of, you know, buying some just for men and, and thinking maybe he should make himself look a bit younger. You just think, my God, that's awful. But you're, you're full of experience and wisdom. 
wisdom and you know everything about this kind of work and yeah it's emotional watching this again because I thought right. I actually know what that feels like you know when you don't know where the next um, mortgage payment is coming from it's yeah, bad although absolutely. Tom does mention they've paid off, they've their, paid mortgage. off their mortgage How did so this is that? 1985 these yeah. people are in their early to mid 40s and they have cleared <laughs> their mortgage I have only just got a mortgage and I'm in my early 40s so different but times different times I assumed he was late 50s I mean, when absolutely. I was, when, watching it when I was little, I didn't really think about how. I, I probably thought, well, yeah, forty four is really just old. he's like someone's dad. Yeah, going End back to story. it, he must be late fifty. He's yeah. he's two years older than me. He is. I mean, I'm rubbish at judging the age of anyone. Now. Oh, awful, awful. I think it? once you get past a certain age group, it's just like the policemen look younger, the teachers look younger. Yeah. I can't humans. Everyone's just yeah, people are two or ninety <laughs> or just humans. Exactly. So, so it, a big row blows up between Tom and Jan. But Leo has that lovely moment of realizing that he doesn't have to go to Exeter University anymore. Yeah, which is great. So, yeah, so he was planning to go away and study, but he kind of admits he was he, just doing it to make them happy. He didn't want to. So this is a big <laughs> moment for him of yeah. going, yes, I don't have to go to Exeter. Yeah, which is, so it's, an, it's, a nice, it's, it's a positive outcome for him. But obviously everything's going to change for the family. And this puts Jan and Tom at loggerheads because, as you said, he didn't communicate. He didn't tell her what was going on. Mm. Yeah, so Leo doesn't have to go to university. He's delighted. But something is now amiss between Jan and Tom. Again, brilliant setup. You you get inklings that there's maybe more suitable or at least alternative partner around mm. for both of them. A sympathetic other. Yeah, yes. a, a better a better fit because you have the flirtation between Jan and Ken, even though he writes her off as just a housewife. <laughs> you kind of know he wants yeah. more. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And then there's the scene between Tom and Avril Rolf where she's so easy to talk to about these things and I couldn't even talk to my wife about these things. Yes, absolutely. They, so, they bump into each other uh, in, in the, in a, in the thinking sea. woods looking yeah. out to sea, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is where they both in, come In pensive wood. In, let's call it that from now on. Yeah. Pensive cops, I think it's quite a small... Pensive cops, there we go. <laughs> but they, yes, yeah, they, they both do meet very early on. Well, no, Jan works for Ken part-time, yeah. two mornings a week. Two mornings a week, and um, that was, it was hard enough to get her to work for two mornings a week. <laughs> yes, although that doesn't stop him sending her um, the largest bouquet of flowers I've ever seen. That she has to split into about 18 vases in every in <laughs> three, three vases in every room of the house. I think it would only make things more poignant if Tom had hay fever. <laughs> but um, we, uh, we move back to the mermaid boatyard now because, and this is another little detail that I really love. There's always a character who hovers in the background. Yeah. You never get to know that much about them. But the writer gives this character some backstory right at the beginning. He doesn't need much. It's enough. It's like homeopathic backstory. So there's a character <laughs> called Bill who is... Jack's faithful right-hand man at the boatyard. He's been there for 30 years, man and boy. He's always halfway up a ladder painting something. He's always painting or tinkering or tweaking or something or expressing uh, worries about the lads. The lads have been... I never see the lads. There's only him working there, but he always says, the lads are worried about the boatyard, Jack. Are we going to close down? Maybe he's not well. (laughs) I I never read it that way, but I'm I'm open to... Maybe they've had to cut back Mm. on Staff of the Mermaid because it's in financial trouble. Yeah, And they haven't told him. Oh, and he thinks And they're letting him still believe that they're a lad <laughs> spends all day talking to the lads they're not there they're not there <laughs> bill but bill, bill the lads aren't there <laughs> poor bill oh keeps him going I, I think bill might be one of my favorite characters oh he's great but he's oh, he's very much got his both feet on the ground he's a voice of reason mm. he tries to sometimes broker the peace between jack and avril because he can see well he wants to he doesn't want his job to disappear obviously that's his main driving force but he's a very old friend of jack's and he mentions really early on that his wife is called daisy so he does get a wife you never mm. see i don't think you ever meet daisy and he says that jack used to go out with daisy back in the early days and then for whatever reason that didn't work out
about so Bill marries Daisy mm, yeah um, and meanwhile Jack married his wife who happened to have a father who owned a boatyard yeah and it's and it becomes really obvious really quickly that he married the boatyard not the woman yeah to the point <laughs> Avril's where Avril's mum yeah. yeah to the point where Avril basically says that yes it's that's that's a heartbreaker it, it's pretty bad and it's clearly a, a point of real difficulty between father and daughter yeah but that's why the boatyard becomes so important because the boatyard is his wife yeah. Yeah. and he won't be sharing her with anyone or will he? And he says that he and Bill have been working their man and boy, doesn't he? So there's this huge history. Oh, his, he, he is it and it's done. And, and, and so it, it does a nice job of establishing Bill as well. It does. Which is rather sweet. He's, and he's been there forever. He's always in the background, but he's always important. You couldn't have this show without him. Yeah. And also, the obviously, the mermaid boatyard has a rather prominent bust from the front of a boat of a mermaid, mm. topless, um, <gasps> which she sometimes looms into shot when Bill and Jack are discussing something. She's a, she's a character too, but she just is oh. visible sometimes to let you know this it's not a boatyard she's a boatyard oh i think we'll be calling her her from now on her yeah, yeah. well like like a boat i know and also in the end titles of the first series only because they decided it was a bit too rude that the titles go up over the sea but just in profile on the left hand side there is the mermaid bust with her very prominent naked bosom <laughs> and a very pronounced nipple and the titles whoosh past it jan, jan and stephen my dear friends jan and stephen <laughs> did say in the commentary that um after series one they thought it might be a bit much and Perhaps just a little bit too mermaid. Reshoot too much the, mermaid yeah, the clothing title. Yeah, exactly. But they also said that it was up for auction <gasps> for charity and they bought it. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and they did so have it in their much. house for a while. I don't know if they still have it now, but they had it for a while. Now, when are you getting in touch with them and when are they coming on this well, podcast? Well, I think it's a, I think it's a matter of time. I want I want I d I don't want to scare them. I don't want to startle them. No. I think we'll just let them find this in their own way. <laughs> 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 and then if and if they're not too freaked out, then well, I, it would be brilliant. Although I, again, it would be like I once met Jr. and Sue Ellen. It was, in fact, it was a few months before Larry Hagman actually died because no one knew he was ill. And I know how hopelessly I couldn't speak when I was sat in front of them because they are the most famous people in the world. Yeah. You, you have this thing with Fred Harris, don't you? I do. Well, yeah, I, I think, though, I might be able to talk to Fred Harris. Do you think so? I think he's he, he's so lovely and he's so human and he was so brilliant. Yeah. I think maybe I could talk to him like he was a human being. Yeah, I think it's because J.R. and Sue Ellen were American and seemed yeah. very tall, like really famous people seem really tall and he was wearing a huge cowboy hat. I did do a play with Richard Schiff who plays <gasps> Toby on the West Wing. No! And I did, yeah, and I was in this play with him and I couldn't speak to him. Oh, it was, no! It was Pathetic. Unless it was in the script. It was absolutely pathetic. But he is phenomenal. He's great. He's absolutely great. And yeah. I was such a big West Wing fan. And I, uh, every now and then I'd sort of sidle up to him and basically <laughs> turn into Perry and go, um, hello, uh, Toby off of the West Wing. Um, is Alison Janney nice, please? And he'd say, uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you very much, Toby off of the West Wing. And I'd sidle off. I love you. It was, it was so pathetic. Oh, but no, but I'd be dreadful. the same. He once replied to me on Twitter and I just giggled for an hour. Yeah, that was that was me for three weeks <laughs> of rehearsal. Awesome. I don't know how you even breathed the same air as him. Oh. But anyway, so back to Tarrant. We must get back to Tarrant. I do, um, I do give it six months before you're living in Jan and Stephen's <laughs> spare room. I really hope so. So, uh, yes, uh, we have to get back to this quite crucial meeting between Tom and Avril who bump into each other. They're vaguely aware of each other. They don't really know each other. She's been away for five years. Yeah, he recognises her. So he was 
but they're not well acquainted. Yeah. And she was a young, young slip of a thing. When yes, she but now she's totally legal and fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's a bit older than that. But, you know, clearly, he didn't notice it before, but now she's but blossomed in some quite. way. And he actually uses the line unironically, and she answers unironically, do you come here often? He does. And I think even then, that was probably... I don't think he meant it that way. Tom's a very genuine, straight-down-the-line guy, but think of something a little bit more original than do you come here often. Then we move on to <laughs> my favourite scene, which is Ken Mar- is answering the phone in bed. Obviously, oh. his, his phone is mahogany effect and handheld, but you know, still call, still had a cord at that stage. And his sheets are satin. Yes. Um, the aesthetic of the bedroom is red and black. I remember Absolutely. this was quite the thing back then. Kind yeah. of a, so my, ge- my brother had a black red and, and black bedroom. Yes, yeah. I think my brother did too. Yeah. Black ash fitted furniture. Right, yes. You know, that kind of laminated yes. stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then sort of red lampshade, perhaps, red accents. Yeah, very yeah. Uh, the darkest grey he could get without being yeah. black for the walls. And then all the skirting boards and yes. all that were, were bright red. You picked that out red. red. gloss. Yeah. Sort of like a racing car. I think that's what they were going for, a kind of racing car aesthetic. Um, but Ken answers the phone in bed and he's holding a mahogany phone. And I think this is a scene where his his consort, Dawn, <laughs> well, that is her name. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, this is on at 7.45. It's on a, a Sunday shocker, evening. isn't it? She is nud, like completely naked, and uh, lying on her front with a bare bottom. Yeah. And, um, and, he's, and, he, and he smacks her bottom. Yeah, and he's naked from the waist up, yeah. apart from his um, gold chain and oh, gold he watch. never takes them off. <laughs> but it's... You it, can't be too careful. It's shocking. It's really shocking. I had forgotten that there was any sort of... There's lots of, later as the show goes on, there's lots of linen in a bikini. Yeah. But I had never remembered any sexy times at all. No. Certainly because I was 10 when this came out and I certainly wouldn't have been looking for that. Yeah, and I didn't remember my parents switching it off at that point. Which no. Surely no. they would have done... I don't know. May, maybe they just were out of the room or something. I maybe. And then we move on to... But we're back to Jan and, Jan and Tom's relationship. There are little scenes now where you see bolts loosening. And it's like, OK, clearly they're heading for... Can I say choppy waters? I think I just did. <laughs> and Jan takes sleeping pills all the time. She keeps taking sleeping pills. Yeah. Tom is uh, declines her offer for a sleeping pill, but she clearly, the minute she gets stressed about anything, obviously her husband's job has just uh, gone west. She's just, darling, do you want a sleeping pill? I'm having one. And he obviously just lies there sort of fitfully tossing and turning. And she just takes pills. Takes pills. Again, is that an 80s thing? Just said, can't you sleep? Take some pills. Maybe it is, or maybe, or is it a, is, is it a judgment thing on her? Again, well, her, you I know, felt I'm, it was a little bit yeah, of a moral judgment. There's a materi- that materialistic yeah. thing, throw money at any issue. Yeah. Tom is a better person yes. for not taking her up on the sleeping pill. I think you're right. I did get that message, whether it was intended or not. But we know uh, after she slept on it, presumably very well, um, <laughs> that she uh, she's decided this is an opportunity. Her husband losing his job, and obviously there's a lot of defiance at this point in her as well, is an opportunity for her to, one, go and work when he doesn't like that because he's a bit of an unreconstructed old buffer. And Tom says to her explicitly, I don't want you working full time. Yeah. doesn't say why, but, you know, that was quite a common thing back then, I think. Right. And also to go and work for the man that she knows he will be most uncomfortable with her working with. The sleazy the Ken nouveau masters, riche. indeed. Uh, the man who openly loves money and gold and diamonds and jewels and, um, like, you know... Naked bottoms. <laughs> naked bottoms and powerboats. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, she, and she starts to make inroads into basically resuming or reviving her career. She was a se- it turns out she was a secretary at the aerospace company that he worked at, ah. met him on his first day and pretty much... Ooh. Any ambition after that disappeared. So, you know, the backstory, it just, it's amazing. I'd forgotten so much of this. It builds and builds. It does, it? layer upon layer. So she goes to see him at Master's Chandlery, which is his main business, although we also hear he has many garages. 
<laughs> this is this is not a man simply with one shop. He, he doesn't has, just have one business. He has many garages and he's looking to expand his empire. Now he um, is in this scene on a cordless phone. Oh yes, he is. He does. Yeah. He has this. Brick, so that technology brick has reached the south phone. coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, but it's but it's recent, so yeah, this is very. another little character point. And presumably, you can't come too away, too far away from the base station or the south <laughs> to crackle because they did back then. You have to put the aerial right up <laughs> and don't stand behind a thick wall. But they um, they they discuss her career opportunities over a mug of instant coffee, which she makes. Obviously, now aspirational dramas would have some kind of filter coffee or one of those or stupid bloody pod thing. machines yeah. where you just waste loads of plastic and metal rubbish, and lead rubbish. But no, they, she makes um, something. I mean, I think the label was probably mocked up because they wouldn't be using a brand on the BBC, but it was something a bit like Mellow Birds. <laughs> something you'd see in an advert around Maxwell there. House. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she makes them this rather ostentatious this ceremony. She makes two mugs of instant coffee. And then people always, they did this in um, Acorn Antiques a lot as well, which I'm guessing is probably not a coincidence. But they used to cradle their mugs with both hands, like one hand on the handle, the other hand round it like, brr, it's cold, I'm cradling this mug <laughs> to keep warm. It's actually a bit of burning my hands. Yes, yes. Although, although maybe that's part of the it's supposed to be bright and sunny and yes lovely but it's bloody freezing so the actors just and they were couldn't cold. stop themselves from huddling and in Birmingham even colder around their coffee God. no absolutely oh so, it's lovely though to think that you know they were in love in real life I know but I wonder when it kicked in did they meet on the show did it I need we to, need know to find this out when this becomes like a huge billion selling podcast exactly I'm going to uh, ask them most humbly oh definitely are they on Twitter are either of them on I Twitter? don't know actually I haven't found them yet I looked for out. them, but yeah. mm, I wonder. I can get to them through Tracy Childs. Yes, <laughs> that oh, that's maybe. I'm so happy. I'm I'm sorry, listeners, if it's getting boring. How happy I am no, that it's they're lovely. married in real life. But that's oh, it's it just is. It's wonderful. You, you, you genuinely didn't know, and your face lit up when yeah. I told you it was just lovely. I'm glad I saved oh. that. We uh, we now return to the Howard family, who are trying to assimilate the news that finances are now in peril. Leo's decided to react to it in the way that you'd expect. Good Leo to react to it, so he's going to go and get a job, any job, and and is off sort of looking for sort of gone to the job centre, and because he's got A levels, he's only been offered clerical. clerical. Very common problem. Yeah. They'll only give you like sort of temping in crummy offices. They won't give you anything interesting to do. Meanwhile, there's a shop which is like an Athena postcard <laughs> where he's on his motorbike, um, ha- helmet under his arm. And in contrast, Lynn is lying next to him on a lounger in the garden mm-hmm. in a very small bikini looking resplendent like a goddess. So there are the two responses to a very adult problem. Yeah. You know, that, well, we, we, we haven't got anything to live on. And her response is to sunbathe. He's giving up university and is going to the job yeah. centre and she's maybe not going to go to France on holiday. I know. It doesn't feel like the consequences have quite sunk in for, for Lynn yet. But in the meantime, Jack still feels very much at sea. I can't help reaching for these puns. I'm so yeah, sorry. No, it's important. He's very much at sea very with his problem. He doesn't really acknowledge how grave... What his... an ocean of trouble Thank you. It is. This is why we got you on your there bloody you brain. That's all I've got. I'm leaving now. And, and again, in a very 80s way, he decides the way to solve his money problems is to wine and dine his bank manager. Yeah. Which is amazing. Bank managers. There were bank managers. Later, Tom goes to see his bank manager, who yeah. has a fountain pen. <laughs> Come on. I've got a fountain pen. Oh, you I'm have. using a fountain pen right now. Are you a bank manager? Yes. <laughs> what do you like, need? I feel like I just want to ask you for some money. Um, <laughs> but no, Jack, Jack 
very cockily thinks that if he, t- he he takes his bank manager is also his friend, which again seems to be a thing that happened back then. You, uh, well, you did know your bank manager. They had a name, and it was always the same one, wasn't yeah. it? It wasn't sort of like remember, some random person. I, I, I was really interested in banks when I was small, and when it came for me to open a young saver of some sort. Now, which one did you go for? Well, I went, this tells you a lot about a person. It does, I think. It? and I went round the big four um, yeah. at the time, obviously, and um, I interviewed the bank managers. You did when I was about ten. You interviewed, and I, yeah, bank and I had a chat with them <gasps> and worked out what I wanted to. That's amazing. To do, and so there was there was your Griffin saver, obviously. Right now, what did that Midland. come with? What did that? Come I don't with? remember the freebies for Midland they Bank. All, no, they all came with money boxes, and I think that some kind of Griffin money box. Yeah, then. it was some blue thing with a Griffin on it. Yeah, rubbish. Mm. And then their Barclay. I don't remember what Barclays had either. I don't even know if that was considered one of the ones. To, did you did you go to Barclays? Yeah, it was in those. In days. my head, that's like ITV. Like my parents wouldn't have wouldn't yeah, have liked me going to Barclays. I, would, yeah, but I don't I, know I was why. Never going to end up with I've just got a feeling they but wouldn't yeah, have Barclays, said. Barclays, Midland, NatWest, and Lloyd's, Lloyd's were, yeah. the, were the the only games in town. Lloyd's had a really good money box where it sorted your coins. Yeah. So you dropped the coin in the top and it rolled down and it fell into the. Right I had that. Bit. That was yeah. great. It's a coin sorter. Yeah. It was really, so I, satisfying. I really fancied that. I, I, I nearly did that. But yeah. of course, Nat West had the pigs. And again, I think this is BBC ITV all over. Because yeah. I think mum and dad thought the pigs looked a bit too much fun. And money is serious. Ah. And we're saving. We're not collecting farm animals. So <laughs> I, I got... Um, there, there was like a young saver folder, quite a serious looking oh, yes. portfolio that went with your coin slidey fun thing. Yeah, but it I was, was quite far, jealous It was of far that. more BBC. So you went right. for the pigs, did you? I went for the pigs. ITV, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Oh, see, oh, anything no. else? Just picks. I, I wouldn't have got. I wouldn't have said that was ITV. Oh well, I'd have said the Griffin your... Saver was ITV. I think maybe you went BBC Two and I went. I went BBC One. Oh, perhaps. Yes. All right. I'll allow that then. Because there's no way my parents would have allowed me to go ITV. <laughs> Good God, my father was a civil servant for crying out loud. That would never have happened. <laughs> but yeah, I got the pigs. I got all the all all five of the pigs. Did you have to collect them in a special way? Like yeah. So you got. This we were so off the point. Doesn't I love matter. It. Um, you opened it and you got Woody, who right. was the baby pig, uh-huh. and he, he and he was in a nappy. So you started yeah. with him, and then the way it worked out was every six months they'd see how much was in your account. Oh. And if you had enough, you'd get the next pig. So it's kind of like you were saving up for pigs, exactly. effectively. So at £25, <gasps> you got Annabelle. You know all their names. Oh, yeah. This is spectacular. Yeah, <laughs> Annabelle, who um, had a green school uniform and a yellow a tie. A tie. I remember, oh, yeah. I remember this is all coming back now. And a yellow yeah. and black stripy tie. Yep. Oh, yellow and green stripy tie. Mm. I'll check. I'll go home and check. Please do. Um, then at £50... There was Maxwell, who had blue dungarees and a red tie. I'm not sure he had a shirt. <laughs> I'm not at all sure he had a shirt. The lunatic. And then at £75, you got Lady Hillary, who was wow. dressed as Margaret Thatcher. So you get nobility. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. yeah, this is not ITV, is and it? And then £100, you got Sir Nathaniel Westminster, <laughs> the head of the family, a banker. God. And then there was something where if you opened some weird three-year fixed savings account, you got their cousin or some shit. Well, that just sounds like but they're clutching, it, clutching exactly. at pigs. Exactly. I never, I never, I never bothered. But I've, I've still got all five, and um, my other half won't allow them in the house. You are joking. So they're they're in my mum's attic. At surely, the surely there's some way you could just. When we move from a one bedroom flat. Okay, fair enough. So I'm she, she doesn't them. want to see them every day. No, but perhaps there could be an office or exactly. You know, some sort of. But I'm having them. Shrine. I love them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I absolutely love them. I'm and I'm really proud. It was one of my proudest achievements. Well, getting you, all, you saved all the up pigs. as a child. What child saves up now? Well, the thing is, I didn't. 
Oh. Though I did cheat. How, hang on, wait, wait a minute. So <laughs> Maybe this is why she won't have them in the house. It reminds her what you really what are. A terrible, <laughs> yeah, what a terrible person I really am. No, I mean, I sort of cheated. Okay, you have to explain this um, now. So my granddad died and he left us all £100. And I just stuck the £100 in the bank account and waited a couple of years. You are joking? So they just sent you the lot so in one just, go? No, no. Every You could only get one, oh, every, one every six months. Okay. So I did have to wait so you, play, you played the long game, but you I, didn't yeah, save a penny. But I didn't save up. Wow. I know. Well, I can see your other half's point now, quite frankly. I'm sorry, everyone. Not very happy Particularly about this. Alison. Anyway, talking of money, <laughs> Lynn and Oh, Tom. God, I'm Jan. I'm Jan Howard. You are. Or am I Lynn? Oh, no, I'm Jan, aren't I? Did you like sailing or clothes? Neither, particularly. Okay, well, I, then I don't know what to do with you. No. That's, that's what I? women like Who in this, this show. <laughs> <laughs> that's all there is. I can't help you. But no, Lynn and Tom, so father and daughter clearly have a very close bond. They've bonded over sailing. They've bonded over... And he admits that she's probably a better sailor than him, yes. doesn't he? Yes. And he says something about she, her captaining. Yeah, and she's very competitive and he enjoys the freedom and the open water and, and the sensation and the, everything about it, but she is also competitive. She wants she to sail and she wants to everyone else. win. And she's got big ambitions to do the fast net race and the America's Cup and all, all kinds of things. And I remember that it's at this point when Lynn started talking about sailing, even though I didn't really, I, I decided I liked sailing. I never did sail, but my dad was a sailing instructor years and years ago. Oh, wow. Like in the 60s, he was in the RAF and he was a sailing instructor. So I think it was a nice way of sort of bonding with my dad because I thought... Yeah, but he never okay, taught you. I like, well, no, because we lived in the Midlands. <laughs> <laughs> Which is completely useless. So unless we could like mock up uh, something. Pool. Yeah, exactly. So I used to collect. It was really weird. I got really obsessed with collecting pictures of boats. And we even went to a boat show once. <gasps> I know. Blimey. In fact, Jan and Stephen tell a lovely story about the boat show. When the cast Your friends, all, Jan and Stephen. My dear, dear friends. When the show was finally cast, they say the first place the cast all met together was at the big boat show in Southampton. They decided to get them down there for a photo op right. as a publicity thing. So they all met at the Southampton Boat Show which is a really big deal Ooh. and kind of had to pose on the deck of a yacht and things so when you, if you ever see pictures of the whole cast together I think that's where they're from so they hadn't even filmed the show yet they just all met at the boat show how momentous that must have been oh that's incredible yeah my actor brain got very excited about the fact that presumably the actors needed to learn to sail oh they did which are, and I love stuff like, like that I, yeah. I, I would love to get a job where I need to learn a skill well apparently again do you know who was the most into sailing of the whole cast before the show started? Ken Masters. Was he? And all he got was powerboats the whole oh, time. He never got to sail in the Stephen. show. I know, really sad for Stephen. But apparently Leo, Lynn and Tom, they all really got into sailing. They were taught to sail for the show because they had mm. to look like they'd just done this hundreds of times before. Absolutely. Because they really were sailing those boats. Um, and that, yeah, apparently they were bitten by the sailing bug, Aww, which is very nice. Good. But so Lynn and Tom go and have a picnic because, again, they're dreamers and nature people and they don't care about things. They just care about life and the Outdoors earth. Outdoors. And and sandwiches. And <laughs> <laughs> so they go, I think, quite near uh, what do we call it contemplation cops pensive pensive cops they go uh, it looks like somewhere around the corner from there to the water's edge they have a nice picnic uh, on the edge of the estuary but Tom moots the information that he may have to sell the fish as they call it <sighs> yeah basically a member of their family as far as Lynn and Tom are concerned which it's obviously basically, it's, it, he's basically saying to her I might have to cut off your arm kind of yeah I mean it's all she cares about mm. and obviously you know she's a bit spoiled the fact that she has a boat she can just say to her friends I say you fellows you want to go sailing you get to the out of way of the day I mean it's, it's terribly, well, so terribly terribly poor you might have to sell the boat 
I mean, yeah, terrible problems. But it's really nice. There's a, there's a nice little sequence of family time there. So they come back from their picnic and then Lynn and her dad play Scrabble together. Oh, which is really nice yeah. because she hasn't got a phone to gawp at or, you know, I don't know, friends to text or she just hangs out with her dad. It's a really lovely, um, a lovely scene. This is it's at this point that Ken Masters' um, flowers of ostentatious kind of uh, <laughs> mischief arrived. To, to the 15 lop. billion flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the far too many flowers in, in a bouquet that the man delivering it can barely carry. And and so that obviously sets the cats among the pigeons again uh, and, and, and clearly sort of slightly makes Tom a bit uncomfortable. But, you know, I'm guessing his mind's also on Avril at this point as well because he clearly seemed to have a bit of a connection with there her. There was a definite bond there. I think so. Something, I think I suspect something might happen there. Well, I think we should wait and see. I think we should Don't too. rush ahead, like savour this. It's There's too, only five yeah. series and I still I have, obviously I've watched all this again very recently but I haven't got to the last episode because I couldn't bear to. Oh. Genuinely couldn't bear to. Um, but before then, we go back to the boatyard and Jack, literally like the man who just discovered the thing about the bath with the water, the Eureka man, he, <laughs> he, he's sitting in repose at his desk in the hut in the yard. He clicks his fingers and says, that's it. And he's suddenly realised that Tom, who has a golden handshake from his redundancy and is looking for something else to do that involves perhaps boats, Tom could be the answer to his financial problems. And he starts in motion the plan to try and get Tom to invest in his almost dead business. Yeah. And so we then can see Tom is being pulled in directions which are very much not the directions his wife's pulling him in. So further tension, but also further excitement because his life could be about to change for the better or the worse. And equally, he has a very, as we've said, he's a, he has a very different approach. He does. To the boat building, to Jack. So, so we know he's come from aeroplane design. There aren't, as far as I'm aware at this point, any wooden aeroplanes. I don't think anymore. so. I mean, <laughs> and there are in Jack's world. Ones. Well, yes, obviously. And they're, they're powered by pedals. <laughs> Um, but, but Tom Snoopy Tom's, flies them exactly and actually it's established the flying fish obviously is, is fibreglass again no one talks about fibreglass anymore my other favourite thing was when uh, later on I think Ken's girlfriend Dawn for that is her name introduces herself as Ken's live-in girlfriend like she's very specific about that <laughs> again no, one, no one's called that anymore either that's a um, shame it's, I'm going to start using that again yeah you're a live-in girlfriend I'm a live-in girlfriend hey yeah. oh that's really nice well I think you should uh, go home and make that a thing at home I'm going to but I'm darling I'm your living going. girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> but Jan and Tom have a final showdown before the end of the episode and she says and again this is so resonant I think of you know a lot of families that were at this sort of stage in their lives in 1985 mine definitely was um, Jan says to Tom when you get to our age you want something to show for it and it's sort of this idea of living for the future and not enjoying the now because you're planning for some kind of golden time where you've squirreled away enough money you've paid off your mortgage the kids have left home and now you can finally I don't know something magical will happen that will make you happy you know as she joylessly makes another pasta bake and grates cheese on top of it <laughs> in, in her formica kitchen she's clearly going to feel a bit cheated if she has to start scrimping and saving again yeah, and, and then I do start to sympathise with her a bit. But again, and it's probably a, a generational shift. There's no way in yeah. my brain would ever go. But this is the time I was supposed to sit back and relax. No, no. I'm thinking, you know, 25, 30 years from now, <laughs> maybe we're maybe. lucky. Yeah, 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 yeah. Part part of that's practical and financial, yeah. but part of that is also, I part of me does feel like I've just about got going yeah and again looking at those people they looked so grown up and so like they had their lives yeah. sorted and obviously looking at them from this age where we're sort of 
basically the same age as them. We know they probably didn't. It's the way we all look at our parents now going, oh, oh God, oh God we're all you just going, wow. You would. How did I not die in infancy? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's a miracle they didn't kill us all. Maybe but it's a baby boomer thing. I think it, so. It probably is that just a generational, because we're Gen Xers. <laughs> right, daddy-o. Um, but it, there's very much, the, uh, uh, I get that feeling whenever I remember or, or look on YouTube at that advert, uh, Fisher-Price, it was a Fisher-Price advert, I think. And a child is making daddy breakfast and they get their Fisher-Price plastic kitchen set and they get a Swiss roll and they pour baked beans on it and then they give oh, it to their dad yes. going, I made you breakfast, Daddy! And, and now I look at my parents and think, oh, I think I get what you were doing. <laughs> it's like you made it look really convincing, but actually we're all flailing around going, oh my God, the mortgage. I'm yeah. not old enough. Can, can a grown-up come and do it for me now? I think I, got, I, I was surprised how much of that feeling this brought back when I watched it again. Also, I now slightly want to go home and make myself a Swiss roll with baked beans. I don't, I've never tried it. Maybe do it. Maybe do it. <laughs> My um, my mum once made my nephews baked beans and custard. Uh, no, not um, what was it? Um, fish fingers and custard because because oh, do- Doctor, Doctor Who ate it. My immediate reaction is that would probably taste okay. Apparently not. Really? Yeah. Because um, I promise you now, if you ever try mixing a little bit of curry paste with tuna and mashed up banana, it makes the loveliest sandwich filling. Oh, hello. Really nice. Because that was another advert in the eighties. The, the, the yellow pages. pages. The yellow pages. And the pizza. What pizza would you like? Tuna, tuna and banana. banana. Tuna and banana. But it actually is really, really delicious. But Yellow Pages had a run of they were utterly good. brilliant. Was that also the French Polisher one as well? The French Polisher one and um, J.R. Hartley. Is obviously. anyone a French Polisher anymore? Oh, Somebody must be, like one person. French people. <gasps> and what was so French about it? <laughs> the bi- the bicycle one was the one I always really loved. Oh, the saddle like oh, a right razor about blade. Saddle. Oh, it was, I, that used to make me cry. They've all stuck with us though. Whoever came up with the idea of those adverts, they, they stuck, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they were brilliant. So many didn't but they stuck anyway we leave the Howards and the and the Rolfs at the point of perhaps becoming someone's uh, had the idea of how we can solve all the problems the idea has occurred and Jack says to Tom by way of trying to convince him that he could be master of his own kingdom because we've heard from Tom again and again that he's sick of being a drone with a briefcase the carrot has been dangled and we know Tom Tom is a dreamer and he likes carrots probably (laughs) he enjoys dangling (laughs) and this sets in motion the rest of the series and we leave Tom pondering an unknown future cue titles oh and then there's the mermaid with her bosom. <laughs> <laughs> mermaid bosom. Um, Can we just talk about the apostrophe in Howard's Way? Because this is something yes, I realised I shocked. literally a month ago. And I've loved this show all my life. Yeah. Why did I not know it was Howard's plural apostrophe way? I, that's the first thing I've written on my notes. So I thought it was all Tom Howard's I thought character. it was Tom Howard's it's way. It's Howard's way. It's because the Howard's family. That makes sense, way. though, because he goes his own way. But yeah. it's not. It's, it's all of the Howard's It's all of them. Way. Yeah, I, that was totally the first thing I wrote down when I was watching it. Because I was Honestly. absolutely stunned. Yeah. I, didn't, I thought it was all Tom Howard. It's I, not. It's the than we ever imagined. Now, um, what I'd like you to do now, I did warn you about this, is the closing theme tune for Howard's Way, Barracuda. That's the one. The closing theme for this podcast is going to be the Simon May original theme tune, the opening titles. And what I asked you to do, because obviously there is a version with lyrics, but it's called Always There. Always There. Hence, Hence this the podcast. Always There. But what I asked you to do is write your own words to the first verse. Yeah, which I haven't really done on paper I've sort of vaguely <laughs> but done do you have head. it in your head well, do you the, want to have a go well the thing the, <laughs> like the beauty of Simon May theme tunes yeah is you can put the name of the show in them so he also wrote EastEnders theme tune which anyone can fall in became love became anyone can fall in yeah. love but can very easily turn into um, this show is called EastEnders yeah it's set in London it's not very cheerful 
So, and he did. He does that with everything. But Howard's way is even more brilliant because mm-hmm. you can do it with absolutely anything. Oh yes, you really anything. can. So, in fact, I was late this morning, and I emailed you to say I was late, and I did it in Howard's way theme tune. Now we're going to try. We're going to try something, which I I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm optimistic. I, I I'm looking at you and thinking it is going to work. It is going to work. Right. So the if may, may I please Simon, may I? Please um, may you. So the the beauty, one of the many beauties mm-hmm. of the astonishing theme tune is that you can sing it to absolutely anything. And actually, since you asked me to be on this show, yep. my brain has picked up on absolutely anything and turns it into the Howard's Way theme tune. I was on, I, so it's a catchy little number, isn't it? I was it? on the bus this morning mm. and there was a man, wait, uh, one of the bus stops, he pulled up for a bus stop and I glanced over and there was a man wearing quite a well-known uh, brand on his shirt. Yeah. And my brain went, Everlast. <laughs> his shirt says Everlast. And... The last it's month or two, isn't it? Yeah, have been that. You can. Uh, I like. It's also quite good to do with other other programs. Oh, Game really? of Thrones. Oh yes, this show is gay. God. But the, mm. the the main thing I did this morning. Okay. That I'm going to do for you, perform for you now. Mm. So I was on my bus was very slow. Yeah. And I was going to be late. I sent Julia a message to warn her. Well, I'd just like to take this opportunity before you sing. I can't believe you're going to sing. I'm so <laughs> honoured uh, to say Carrie Quinlan. Thank you for being always there. Take it away. Bus is slow. This stupid bus is slow. I'll be a little bit late. This bus is slow. Oh my God, hurry up this bus. Stop being slow this bus. I have Somewhere to be You're a slower, slow bus Thank you. GreatBigOwl.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.